Welcome to the Venue Solutions Podcast, where we talk about everything data center, information technology, cybersecurity, and more. I'm William, Venue's data center sales engineer and one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Eric Malatesta, Venue Data Center Infrastructure Manager and also one of your hosts. And I'm Michael Faisley, Venue's Network Infrastructure Manager and Cybersecurity Specialist. And I'm also one of your hosts. This is Venue Podcast number 86 for September 19th, 2022. In this podcast, Eric, Michael, and I recap and discuss VMware Explorer 2022. All this and more in the next Venue Podcast. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Venue or any guest's employer. And welcome to the Venue Podcast for September 19th, 2022. Hey guys, how's it going today? Hey Will, good morning. Hey, Will. Hey, Michael. Good morning. So, um, how is everyone doing? We haven't been on a podcast for a while. We had a lot. We've been very busy in our day jobs, and also, um, kind of what we're going to focus on today is we were just came back from VMware Explorer. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a little while since we've been on the on on a meeting here together. Uh, I know we've done some traveling. Everybody's had some vacation, and then we did the conferences. So here we are. Yeah. So what we wanted to do for today's podcast was really kind of recap some of the um, some of the highlights that we saw from from VMworld Explorer. Uh, I shouldn't say VMworld. It, it used to be called VMworld. Now it's VMware Explorer 2022. Uh, so the name changed, but I think a lot of people who are uh, veteran VMworld people have a hard time saying VMworld and or VMware Explorer. But anyway. Um, VMware Explorer was uh, August 29th through September 1st, and myself and one of my colleagues, Jeremy Landry, uh, went to it. It was in San Francisco, so really nice weather. Got a chance to eat some good food and and enjoy the uh, a very rich, feature packed um, conference this year. So yeah, uh, Jeremy Jeremy mentioned there was a lot to see. Yeah, so it's been a while since I've been to a VMworld. Um, Last time I was at a VMworld was in 2014, so it's been several years since I've been to one. And I will say there's definitely a lot of new products, a lot of new focus on on the company and, and what's going on there. So really kind of cool. Um, you know, I would say if we start kind of looking at the high level, you know, what was the, the conference about? Really, I think it was um, a lot of discussion on multi-cloud. And edge computing, right? So sounds, sounds very familiar. Yeah, and we talk about multi-cloud. We, we've been talking a lot about multi-cloud here at Venue over the last several months, and I think this conference really kind of highlighted some of the um, importance that the industry is putting on not just being in one cloud, not just being in one data center, but embracing you know the whole swath of products and services offered by public cloud. So. Uh, definitely a lot of, of information to unpack. Uh, and, and what we're going to talk about today really is kind of the highlights of, of the conference. Um, I think probably a lot, I'll be, I'll be leaving a lot out. The good thing is I'll be putting a lot of the things we talk about on today's podcast in the show notes. And then I'll have a link to the VMworld, um, or the VMware Explorer, um, video catalog. So if you weren't able to go to the conference and yet you still wanted to experience the the sessions and experience, um, you know, kind of being there without being there, 
uh, I'll post the link to the video library. And as long as you have a VMware account, you should be able to log in and watch the, the, the keynotes, the general session, and then any of the, um, the, the sessions that were available on the conference. Also, we have the ability to do hands-on labs. So that's really exciting. And um, if there's any products and services that you want to test out or look at uh, online, hands-on labs are a great way to do that. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, really, again, you know, the mantra was embrace public cloud, embrace private clouds, and leverage technology that kind of bridges the gap between those two um, those two worlds, right? And I definitely think that was something that was, you know, throughout the whole conference was was there. Um, I'm guessing. I'm guessing by the end of this podcast, we're going to learn that VMware has the tools and the the interfaces and the the desire to be that middle middle ground for all of these different clouds. Yeah. Well, and and that's really there's a particular product that that VMware announced this year that kind of really is, I think, the glue between um, public private clouds, and, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of new stuff. So let's talk about vSphere eight because vSphere eight was announced. Um, I think it was announced prior to the conference, but there was definitely a lot more information provided in the conference about vSphere eight. And what we'll see in vSphere 8 really is continuation of performance of, of vSphere, right? You know, vSphere 7, vSphere 8, you're going to see better better utilization of your hardware. Um, you know, Macs and Mins typically change at this point, and, and there's always new features, right, that come out with a new version of, of vSphere. And one of the features that I was really surprised about, which, which I thought was very interesting, it really is um, new hardware that's coming out to support uh, vSphere 8 and new features in vSphere 8. So one of the new things that was discussed at the general session was the notion of a DPU, a data processing unit, right? So you'll, you'll, most people are familiar with CPUs, you know, your central processing unit, you have your GPU, which is your graphics processor, and then now you have something called a DPU, data processing uh, unit, right? And... Um, what, what's nice about that is, you know, we're all familiar with how CPUs work, right? And we're most of us are familiar with really how GPUs work when you have workloads that are very graphic intensive or computational um, intensive, right? Maybe you're doing crypto mining or some type of AI. Usually um, those cycles get offloaded to the GPU for processing, right? It kind of frees the, the CPU up for, for work, right? Well, there's a new piece of hardware now that's coming bundled with network interface cards called the DPU. And really what that is going to do is that's going to further offload uh, cycles processing that the CPU is doing. Okay. So what, what that means is, is when you're installing uh, VMware ESX, there's a portion of ESX that actually gets installed into the network card. Right, which is kind of a special silicon on a chip that then offloads ESXi um, services to the special processor, right? And what in doing that, you're freeing up more of the CPU to then run v, VMs, right? So things like NSX processing, um, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, 
uh, apps like Carbon Black for um, network security. Now, instead of running these workloads in the CPU, they're offloading this into the DPU. And, and so we're not so we're not talking about replacing your network adapter. No, no. We're, we're, we're having the network adapter offload to another adapter, and and I want to take that to another level because I have some questions about this, which would be. So I, and my assumption is that all vendors will be producing a DPU, much like we have vendors that produce GPUs as well as NICs. So you'll have a flavor of, of DPUs that will be coming out, or is that already out in the market? Yeah. So so right now there's there's a couple of um, there's a couple of vendors that actually have uh, DPUs out. Like so, there's some from Nvidia. There's a company called Pensando, and then also Intel have. Um, have NICs with DPU enabled. So okay. when, you're, when you're buying your hardware now, so when you're going out and buying servers for your data center, you can now get um, a NIC that's enabled with DPU. Can I, can I, can I think of this kind of like what I used to think about when I had um, an HBA-enabled NIC for iSCSI? Sort of, sort of, okay. absolutely. But this, this, uh, the DPU actually really, what it does is, is it, it works with a new process called the distributed services engine that then basically, you're, you're basically running like another version, another copy of ESX on the DPU, right? Okay, well, that, then, that brings up another set of questions for me then. This is really interesting. And so, um, Will, Will in, your, in your mind, do you see this evolving to a place where you could just install ESX in the DPU and you don't have to have a hard drive any longer. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think you still need to have a CPU, and you still have to have uh, storage, right? Conventional storage to boot the image, boot you know, boot boot the the non. Okay, so the DPU is the D, the DPU is volatile. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, the DPU is. I mean, I think there's probably some um, some some caching that it's able to to store some changes, but. From what I understand, and believe me, the, a lot of this stuff is really new and probably still in in late development, right? It, it's probably just now emerging. Um, I still think you have to have conventional storage, right, to install ESX. Um, and that goes on, on some type of disk, right, whether it's boot from SAN or locally attached disk, right? And then when you're installing the DPU, I'm, most, I'm assuming that there's some type of caching that is on the DPU, with enough storage on on the chip to actually run the hypervisor. Okay, right? that's interesting. And, and were I, there, go ahead. Were there any gotchas with this that they that they were talking about? Um. Well, so gotchas are really it's from what I understand it's it's better to enable this when you're doing greenfield. So when you're building a new cluster and you're planning okay. and you're planning out your your private environment or or. Um, I don't know if this has been added to like AWS and in in Azure yet, but on prem, when you're building out your cluster, it's kind of you want to do it as greenfield. And I think okay. one of the other uh, prerequisites is you had to have uh, NSX enabled in your environment, so it, it sort of works with NSX because it is doing not only computational performance but also network performance. Okay, so so let me ask you this question as a follow up to all of this, because this let's get to the heart of the matter. Is this is this DPU adapter? Is it going to be 
a, a cost value of something similar to a GPU or, or is it going to be something more like a NIC? It's going to be something more like a NIC. Uh, the, these, these new NICs will actually probably, I'm, I'm assuming they will cost more. So when you're going, in fact, when we, when I was in a session specifically about this with a VMware employee, they were like, well, the NICs will be more expensive, but they won't be a magnitude more expensive. It won't be like buying <laughs> a high-end NVIDIA GPU right? It'll be more like buying a NIC with some additional features, right? Uh, I I don't have any of the... So they are are thinking about how this affects costs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure there'll perhaps be some licensing things to consider because maybe, you know, you have to be on Enterprise Plus or it may not be on some of the, you know, some of the entry-level licenses of VMware. Cool. So, so that's really interesting. I think there's some there's some cool things coming, and I think this is where when when I think about impact, right? Who would use this? And I think you know if you're, I think definitely if you're building out, um, you know, you're building out a cluster from Greenfield. I think it wouldn't hurt to have this enabled, right? And maybe build this into your cluster, even if you're not taking advantage of it on day one. But if you have some in, uh, maybe initiative where you may want to have better network performance or you may have VMs that require more CPU, right, and more time from the, um, from the processor, that it may be a good idea to do this as long as yeah, it's so, not breaking so, yeah, the bank. You kind of danced around that, which is, is something I'm taking from this as well, is that, well, just because it's helping, you know, NSX and networking and all that is allowing now for the CPU to be freed up to do other things, which is just to run the VMs themselves. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, and, and really it comes down to cost versus benefit, right? I mean, if you look at, if, you, if you're on a conventional VMware deployment and you look at your performance, if your performance is not, is not impacted, right, do you really need it or not? You know, so I think at the time of you building out a new platform, you look at how much does it cost to enable your NICs with, um, with, with DPUs versus, okay, how am I running now and am I going to take advantage of that? Maybe am I running NSX? Am I running Carbon Black, right, where I want to offload network security features to the DPU? I think at that point it probably you – know, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? If the cost is negligible, right, if it's not that – costly to just say when I'm building, when I'm getting my NICs, uh, I want to have a NIC with a DPU enabled, right? I think at that point, you know, if you're like, well, it's not a, an arm and a leg, I want to spend a little bit more, you know, a percent or two more on that technology. I think it would probably be a good idea, right? Maybe just, sure. and maybe just future proofing yourself, um, you know, for, for future workloads, right? Especially if you're doing things where, you definitely will take advantage of it. Like, you know, with NVIDIA, they're talking about, you know, workloads that are doing neural nets or AI, right? Where conventionally you would run this, these workloads on physical hardware. Now you can maybe run them in cloud and these new DPUs will enable more of those types of workloads. Did they provide any uh, like data from, Um, you know, case studies. I I know you mentioned carbon black specifically, like how much uh, load is taken off of the CPU. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically what they said is, and this is just in some of the testing that VMware has done, they're seeing a 27% increase in performance by enabling DPU right now. Again, I think there's a big caveat. It depends what workloads are running on those. Like if you're running, you know, windows, you know, 
2016 and you know you, you don't have anything that'll take advantage of that processor you know right and maybe or maybe esx the the standard suite of esx apps meaning your services that are running esx aren't aren't taxed then maybe not you might not see the performance increase but if you are having maybe maybe you have under maybe you you know got underpowered cpus you could then offload some of the G, some of the um processing that that esx needs to keep alive like for instance your distributed virtual switches uh things like that can now move to the dpu and then free up the cpu for usage and are these available today like can can go buy it today yeah so great question uh i haven't talked to any of our hardware vendors yet uh i think it's available now from certain from certain vendors like the ones I mentioned, Nvidia, Intel, yeah. and I think Dell actually has um, Dell has some servers that that are out of the box with it. But I will I would want to check with that, and you know I might put that some more information in the show notes. But it sounds like we kind of have a baseline, right? So yeah. so if you're getting a 27 percent increase in performance of your VM environment, and the uh, DPUs are going to cost you 15 percent more, well, you still have a gain of 12 percent between cost and, and performance. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, interesting. It really depends on, 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 on your needs. And I think when you're, when you're building out your, as I said, when you're building out your new environment, you're going to take advantage of it. And I think as, and, and remember now, vSphere 8 is not technically available for download yet. So last time I checked last week, I tried to download vSphere 8 and it's like, nope, not available. <laughs> so it's not out yet. Uh, this is just something that's, that's coming, right? Sure. Some other things, um, support for virtual hardware version 20 is out, uh, which, which blows my mind because I remember when virtual hardware 8 <laughs> was, was like the thing. Um, so virtual hardware 20 has a host of features, um, enables you to better manage VNUMA configuration. Um, you, it now supports uh, these, uh, Microsoft Windows 11. So if you're running Windows 11 as a... Um, as a VM, it fully supports that. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, you can run those as a VM with, with the VTMP, the, the TPM stuff, where basically it's your unique identifier to run a Windows 11. That can now be virtualized. Um, that's all, you know, it, it depends. You know, I think with Microsoft, you have to be careful where, when and where you run workstation operating systems on your in your environment. I know in our cloud, we're not allowed to run because of licensing. We're not allowed to run workstations in our cloud, right? In vCloud director. And that's not necessarily a VMware limitation. It's more just something with Microsoft. Sure. Cool. All right. So vSphere 8, really, really interesting. I think that's one of the major things coming out. Uh, other things are with vSphere 8, vSAN. So vSAN 8, vSAN 8 is coming out, right? And that's going to be uh, a lot of new feature sets. It introduces the vSAN Express storage architecture, um, support for higher performance NVMe-based um, flash storage. Um, uh, you move from having specific disk groups in vSAN, right? When you're typically when you're building your, your vSAN uh, deployment, when you're installing ESX, you have specific disk groups that then turn maybe into data stores, uh, and now there's you don't have to have disk groups. It actually will perform across the entire cluster. So that's very interesting. Um, we don't have a lot of experience with vSAN. I think vSAN is something that 
uh, in our particular private clouds and, and, and public cloud at venue, we don't typically uh, use vSAN, but I know a, a lot of customers that are that are using vSAN actually are um, taking advantage of, of, of that process, right? Where you have your, you know, your hyper-converging your compute and storage in one cluster. Sure. Yeah. I, 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 I see where, you know, in, a, in an environment like ours, that's already a fairly large introducing the vSAN environment didn't gain us a lot, right? So the advantages of vSAN is that you can expand and grow on a, on a much smaller uh, intervals, whereas buying a new SAN, you're buying however many terabytes of SAN you're buying and replacing it, you know, in full. And so I think this is one of the reasons why we've kind of shied away from it. But as you get, as, as vSAN has matured now, and you're saying that you can use all disk groups, so tier zero, tier one, tier three types disk in one, in one uh, pool of disk is going to make it a little bit more attractive to people like us and other MSPs. Yeah. And one of the features that really was interesting is, you know, what keep, what keeps people from using vSAN? Usually it's when you have, so speaking at venue, right? When we looked at vSAN and we were evaluating it, you had to scale storage at the same pace as your computer. That's right. Which meant it's like, okay, well, maybe I have really big VMs, but I have fewer VMs, right? So less need for RAM and CPU. So what did you do? It's like you have to add units of, of compute, right, servers to accommodate, to build your storage appropriately, even if you weren't taking advantage of the number of processors or, or, or gigs of RAM that you would have in your cluster, which meant is you were either storage heavy or compute heavy, right? And if you're doing vSAN, you know, you may have fewer VMs but requiring more storage. With that environment, you had just had to keep adding hosts, okay? Um, with vSAN 8, now there's a notion of something called cloud, cloud flex storage, right? Where you can actually add the limit, that limitation of having to scale um, uh, compute and storage at the same time now is 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 off kilter, right? So now you can have more storage and less compute, and that's done by embracing uh, public cloud and also third party uh, storage vendors. Uh, yes, a pretty big step forward there. That is a huge step forward, and what really is interesting is how this is being adopted in in public cloud, right? So if you look at uh, vCloud Flex storage. There's also another component called vCloud Flex Compute, right? And, and this really starts rolling into what's available with um, uh, VMware on AWS, VMware on Azure, right? Where vSAN is now a component of, well, it always was a component of VMware on public cloud, but now you can take advantage of building your AWS or Azure vSphere cluster using the same same processes with vSphere, vSAN 8, right? Where you're, you can be more heavily storage-centric um, versus compute-centric. Yeah, great. That's great. So that's really cool. Um, and that's available on-prem and in, in AWS, right, in Azure. Um, you know, and then speaking of that, right, uh, a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of improvements on VMware on Amazon, AWS, and Azure. So in, in, in this year, we're seeing more adoption of customers 
taking advantage of third-party cloud providers um, where maybe you want to burst out to public cloud, right? And maybe you have initiatives to embrace AWS or, or Azure, but you want to keep your legacy VMware guys, right, happy, right? Maybe they, they have a lot of vSphere knowledge and less EC2 or Azure knowledge, right? Well, what, what VMware is enabling is for you to be able to run vSphere and vSAN on bare metal in those clouds. And yeah, no, you know, that gives some other flexibility as well. So it gives you kind of a one-to-one comparison of how a VM runs. So a VM that runs in VMware runs the same in Amazon or Azure. Uh, unlike if you try to spin up a VM in Amazon or Azure, you don't have a one-to-one comparison of how that VM is actually going to run. So yeah. so having the AWS and the uh, Azure VMware-enabled platform is, is a, a big thing. And I, I think that this will be something that uh, a lot of clients, as a lot of enterprises will will uh, adopt and move to before they move to a full-blown Amazon or Azure deployment. The other thing this does as well, Will, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, so, so let's just say we've got a cluster in our office and we have a cluster in Amazon and we stretched it layer two, right? So now we have a layer two network between the two and we can move VMs in and out of that environment. But VMs that are in that environment, so let's just say it's AWS we're working with, they'll have direct back-end access to services within AWS. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty big game changer, right? So now we don't have all the ingress and egress uh, charges that you would normally see in the, the Azure or Amazon world that that these VMs want to take advantage of, right? So they have direct they have direct path straight to the services in and out into the VMs that they're using. So, I mean, this is a pretty big thing for VMware to get involved with this. And, and seeing Azure and AWS adapt, that means that they also know that this is something big for for their clients as well. Absolutely. So think about really anything that you would run on prem. So if that's vSphere, NSX, or or vSAN, right? Think about all those applications that can still run at your local premises or your edge, but now you can deploy those in public cloud, like AWS and Azure. Um, And this is something that's real. Go ahead, Tracy. So this certainly sounds like a really good fit for enterprises, but is this something that also SMBs can can take advantage of? Yeah, so a little bit of history of, of this is really VMware on AWS, VMware on Azure is really nothing new. It actually has been out for like five years, right? And one of the, you know, what I think is it was the Achilles heel with customers adopting VMware on public cloud was the cost, right? And, you know, for for smaller outfits to, to embrace that, you know, you had to look at, you know, a minimum of three nodes with, I forgot what it was, maybe a terabyte of RAM. Something like that. <laughs> right? yeah. It was like a really large amount of RAM footprint. And if you're a single customer, you know, maybe that's that's a lot to bite off. And that's a lot of monthly cost. It is operational, right? You know, you're not paying, you're paying by month. But it was a very large expense to do that. And if if it made sense to do that, then absolutely it's worth your while. But if it didn't really make sense, maybe you're like, well, I want to dip my toe into running vSphere in a public cloud. It may not have made sense. I remember, I remember when we initially looked at it, when it first came out, uh, we, we, we looked at it fairly closely. And for us, it just didn't make sense. 
even for a large commercial data center, right? It's like, well, we can run this on-prem cheaper and, and we're more flexible. Yeah. Um, VMware did recognize that, and I think they're trying to come out with a more um, the ability to to have more flexible storage and compute, right? Since this, you know, with, with the flex compute, flex storage, I think now customers will be able to consume these same technologies but not have to have you know, a terabyte and a half of RAM, they can start with smaller chunks, right? Michael, maybe maybe I can further this from what, you know, Will, Will is talking about mm-hmm. uh, and try to answer that question a little bit more directly as well, which is a hard question. So you really asked more about what, you know, MSPs and uh, could do with this. And there's a lot of things, but one of the things that is, I think, just starting to happen in this Azure AWS world is, you know, the ability to run VMware vCloud Director, okay? So so Director is their cloud, right? Their portal type environment for yeah. for deploying virtual workloads for, for an SP. Um, so, so as that becomes more popular, that will help SPs, other service providers roll this out a little bit better. The other piece is, does as well help with, with service providers is all those p- people that want private clouds, you know, so you hear that term private cloud. And typically when we think of a private cloud, there's very special needs that the client has. Maybe they cannot run on hardware that other cl- other clients run on for some kind of regulatory process they have. Sure. Right. Um, and so this would allow that to happen because what you get in the Azure and AWS world is you get dedicated hardware. So that hardware is dedicated to you, the individual. And so service providers could roll out uh, vCenter environments for private clouds for people that need that very specific need. Or maybe they have some kind of very specialized software that they want to run on the underlying piece of ESXi to look at like, you know, processing or to look at backups or to look at something else, right? And, and that that software needs access to the back end of the ESX environment. Most clouds don't give you access to that, right? So then you have yeah. this ability now as a service pro- provider, say, hey, I'm going to roll, roll you out this cloud. It's going to be a nice operating cost. The service pro- provider, therefore, also does not have to buy hardware day one. They can roll this out in cloud. They can roll this out with NSX. They can de- deploy a layer two network. And if, if this were to grow and the client says, hey, I'd rather move this on-prem within a section, you'd be able to extend your your layer two back to your own office and you could move, move workloads back and forth. Yeah. So yeah, I think that um, I think that other service providers will see the benefit that, I mean, maybe not day one, but this is coming. I think this is, the, this is a really good step forward for the public clouds that are out there and how they can work with service providers. Yeah, and, and also, and, and building on that, you know, when you talked about edge edge compute, right, you have things like Amazon um, D- uh, Direct Connect, Microsoft Azure, and Faisley just dropped off. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully he'll come back. <laughs> um, we were trying to answer his question. He didn't want to listen to us. Yeah, I guess he just didn't. He says, <laughs> okay, I, I, my question's answered. I'm done. Uh, hopefully he'll come back. I think we've had some challenges this morning uh, on multiple fronts getting this podcast going. <laughs> Michael's had some technical issues. So um, if you see him pop back, just and I don't click the add to stream, uh, let me know and I'll add him. I, I definitely will let you know. But yeah, so I think you're right. You know, we, we, there's so many things that, that this will do. Um, and he just messaged us on the back end from his phone saying that his internet dropped at his house. Um, so all good. We're, we can move forward. Yeah, there's, no, there's still a lot to cover from, yeah, from yeah. the uh, 
conference and yeah, you know, I, I did not attend. I've talked to Jeremy a little bit about it. Um, not a whole lot. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing more about what you want to chat with uh, next. Yeah. So, so kind of internally, uh, Jeremy and I will be putting some more, more notes together. He's got his set of notes. We're going to kind of put everything together and then build a nice document to kind of show off internally. Um, but no, I mean, you know, kind of finishing up what I was talking about before, before Faisley had his issue really is it comes into, um, you know, with things like express route, um, direct connect, these types of things, it really makes the availability of making your VMs portable a reality, right? Where you're doing, there he is. Let me add him back. Hi, Michael Faisley, you're back. Home home internet went out. Have I got a great home router for you? It starts with the letter U. (laughs) It ends Uh, with the letter ubiquity um, or biquity. Anyway, um, so no, so so we were talking about, you know, kind of like, you know, with these new technologies, VMware on public cloud, right? It really gives you the yeah. ability to have mobility of your VMs, even to the extent of doing things like long distance vMotion, right? Where you want to move a machine from from on-prem to cloud, that is becoming more of a reality. In fact, uh, with vSphere 8, now you can do cross data center vMotion, right? Where you can vMotion a machine outside of your cluster, even outside of your data center. That's that's wicked cool voodoo stuff, man. Um, and I haven't seen it in the hands-on lab yet. Just kind of wasn't able to to sit in that session. But really, it's making your VMs um, the ability to move those VMs around a real reality, right? Of course, all this yeah. depends, right? If you're trying to move like a sixty terabyte VM over Direct Connect, eh, you, you may have some issues, right? There's always there's always a use case. Um, and, and, you know, we do see customers have large VMs and there's always things to consider just because you can, doesn't mean you should, uh, I think customers who have smaller VMs, you know, the talking about microservers and things like this, running your applications smaller and leaner, that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, but I think, Will, I mean, I think, I think you're, you, even though you're talking about like these large VMs and can you versus should you and all that, what, what we're seeing though is, is the beginning of saying I actually can maybe in two years from now, really move that 64 gig VM. Yeah. You know, our terabyte, 64 terabyte VM or, or whatever you were saying. And, and I think that's, that's, that's a great, you know, place to be at, especially so you combine it with these service, like you were talking about with connect and all that, which we already provide that as well. Right. So mm-hmm. as a, as a SP ourselves, you know, we knew that would be very important for the future. So we are already kind of getting into that world, but this is going to allow us to extend what we can do with that and how that can be helpful for our clients. Cause really it's always about like having VMware and, and public cloud, you know, it's all about the client's experience and their, their world getting better and easier. Yep. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> you know, talking about VMware and AWS, I'll finish up saying that there is a, uh, a VMware VMUG, uh, VMware users group meeting, on September 28th, it's an online meeting, so if you know you don't have to go anywhere to, to visit this, um, and that will specifically go into uh, deep dive on storage and new capabilities of VMware on AWS. So cool. that's something to take into account. That's on September 28th um, from noon, I think, to one Central Time. Uh, the one thing that will conflict with, and I'll kind of pause here on the VMware stuff, is Venue is having an open house. Uh, on September 28th, this is this this is uh, next Wednesday, right? I think next Wednesday, right? 
Wednesday? Yeah, if you're listening to this as, in, in, in the future, this is 2022. <laughs> yeah, so next Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, uh, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time, uh, VMware will be having uh, data center tours. We'll be doing, uh, I'll be on site doing some sales engineering discussion if, if you'd like. We'll be doing networking. I'm sure we'll have a couple of whiteboards around somewhere. So if you'd like to talk about solutions, uh, we can do that. Especially, I think it'll be interesting to have our, you know, open data center um, tours. I think those are really impressive. Cool. Cool. So back to VMworld, it's it's so hard to say VMware Explorer. It just doesn't roll off the tongue like VMworld. I yeah. hope they go back to VMworld because it just, it just you know, why not? Um, but anyway, the next product that was really interesting, and I think actually outside of vSphere, this is the next interesting thing, was a product called VMware Aria, okay? And that product really is a combination of VMware vRealize cloud management, which has been around for years, vRealize operations manager. I forgot what they called it before vRealize. I think it was just, I think it was just called the operations manager. But basically that product is combined with a product called Cloud Health, which is, I think, a relatively new product. Again, I haven't been exposed to it, so it's new to me. But what this product does is it really, I think it's more of the gel between your on-prem and cloud, okay? So what this does is it, it brings in uh, visibility of your on-prem vSphere deployments into visibility of any of the public cloud providers that you're consuming resources from. So when you, when you use this service, right, you'll, you'll connect in your AWS um, clouds, you know, your, your authentication, you'll take Google Cloud Platform, Microsoft Azure, and you'll actually be able to see with one pane of glass your workloads, your consumption of resources, even down to cost analysis, right? And I so think it's just like a, a dashboard that it's, it's you're the, able to see all. It, it's not um, anything where you're going to be able to make any changes. It's just kind of informational. Well, right? no, it's actually so that's part of it, right? So if you look at cloud okay. health. Cloud Health was the piece that actually gave you all your analytics, right? What is my price per gigabyte of RAM? What is my CPU cycle, you know, price per CPU cycle, right? Taking all that, those analytics and combining it with, combining it with some of the things that you can do with vRealize Operations Manager, okay? okay? So I think it's definitely more than, you know, visibility. It's actually some of the operational things that you could do with uh, vOps, right? Um, this is basically all the way back to the beginning of of the podcast, right? So this is mm-hmm. this is the idea of multi cloud, like you talked yeah. about, right? So here we are, VMware trying to to position them in a, themselves in a way where they are kind of an interface, for lack of a better word, to all clouds. They don't care where you are. They don't care what you're running in. Use our products. Let's let's grow together, and uh, I'll we'll give you access. You know because. It's not in Amazon's uh, uh, best interest to necessarily communicate well with AWS with uh, Azure or someone else, but and it's not Azure's best interest to maybe communicate with with and be friendly with Amazon. But 
but it might be VMware's because now they can say, hey, we're able to do all of this. We can be in both environments. We can see all environments. And, and so use us and work with us and we can help your multi-cloud environment grow and prosper. Yeah. And it's really, the, you know, kind of VMware's mantra is run any application, any workload, any VM anywhere in, in, in any cloud. Right. right. And VMware yeah. Aria combined with, you know, VMware, they, they use a notion called cloud universal. Right. It's kind of the beginning of this. Right. Um, and it, it's not just it's not just monitoring the, the consumption of VMware on AWS or VMware on Azure. It's actually monitoring your native workloads running in those clouds. Right. Sure. And then saying, hey, you know, from a cost analysis standpoint, maybe you're on prem and you're like, you know what? I want I don't know what it's going to cost me to move this application to public cloud. Right. So you can literally go in and say this VM, this VM, this VM comprises my application. And then with your existing AWS tenant, you would say, what would it take me to run this in cloud? And it'll actually show you a breakdown of cost of your storage, your compute, your ingress, egress. It's very comprehensive. That's very, that's, that's, that's excellent. That's excellent. Right. So, so taking that a little bit further, and this is where it comes into some of the operational stuff. Um, so there's the product called, a, a portion of ARIA called Migration. So there's ARIA Migration, right? Which is combined with a new product from VMware called HCX, which allows you to go into the ARIA platform that's connected to your local vSphere environment. And then schedule migrations of workloads between on-prem and public cloud. And, and that I found extremely interesting, right? Not only can you uh, use VMware HCX to migrate between vSphere, maybe there's a company you know, out in the world somewhere that wants to move to our data center. We can use VMware HCX to migrate those workloads <laughs> on a schedule or on, a, on demand. And it takes into account migration of the network profiles, the network policies into from, from off-prem into a data center, okay? And what it looks like to me is you can also do that with public cloud. Maybe you want to migrate VMs to AWS or Azure, you know, native, native migration. It will help you do that as well. So cool. It sounds really cool. powerful. It sounds so like it's I, very powerful, and there's a lot I don't know about it, so that's why I'm going to put copious <laughs> notes in the show notes, and we'll probably be doing follow-up um, podcasts where we, where we unpack these individually. In fact, one of the things that we'll be doing on maybe a future podcast in the future, we'll be taking a closer look at Tenzu, which we'll get into that in a minute. So I had asked this for vSphere 8 earlier. Is Aria out available, or is this something that's in the works they maybe showed you a demo but yeah so we saw demos and i know there's hands-on lab like vsphere 8 i know vsphere 8 is not available for download yet yeah. i don't know if aria is i don't think it is uh, i'd have to go to the vmware download link and see if it's available but if it's not available now it's coming it, it will be ready for VMware will be ready for Aria before you're ready for Aria. <laughs> so it's, it's imminent. It's imminent, and yeah, you you won't be tapping your foot going, "Oh, I can't do work because I don't have Aria." It's coming uh, if it's not out right now. Cool. That that one sounds really interesting. It, it's I'd, very I'd like interesting. And one more feature more that I, one more feature that I want to talk about is another feature of Aria. And Aria, Aria is basically a multi. Um, 
it's a multi-service, multi-application suite, right? So we have Aria Migration. There's Aria for NSX. There's another product called Aria Guardrails. And, mm-hmm. and that I find very interesting. Again, not everything we would necessarily use in our data center, but it, let's say you have an Amazon deployment. Let's say you have an AWS deployment. Or, I'm sorry, uh, an Azure deployment. Let's say you have your on-prem vSphere. But you want to do things like compliancy. Maybe you want to look at your monthly spend on AWS workloads. Okay, and like you're like, well, I, I don't need to run my workloads at night. <laughs> okay, or maybe I need to never have a VM use over this amount of network connectivity or this amount of, of CPU and RAM cycles, right? With, the, with ARIA guardrails, you can actually enforce management policies on your third-party clouds. So you can keep applications and VMs powered on at certain times, powered off at certain times, and gives you this high availability and... Um, kind of insurance that you won't be spending more than you anticipate. That's interesting. So now, now one of the, the complaints I hear from people is, you know, hey, having to retrain my employees, understand how to work within Azure or AWS. Well, now VMware is taking that out and saying, hey, just through a few clicks of the button, you'll be able to do the same type of scripting and, and, and uh, calls to these public clouds via our interface. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's going to be very interesting. And again, there's a lot of information on this now just coming out. And I think the product is still evolving. Right. Um, But it's definitely something that I think a lot of people as as more and more companies embrace multi-cloud, this will be something that people will be relying on. Right. Because you don't want to pay as you go broke. Right. You want to actually look at your business application, equate that to business value and then equate that in how you're spending your money, because you don't, you don't, want, you don't want to be cattywampus, right? On hey, I'm getting, I'm spending a lot. My value is very low. Then you have to evaluate what the hell you're doing, right? So you want to make sure that your your business value and what you're actually getting out of your spend is in alignment. Did they get into licensing at all? I mean, because you you're saying that Aria is made up of like several different components. Did all free. <laughs> Yeah. So I far. don't like licensing, Faisley. I want to stay as far away from licensing as I possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you yes. do, but, but yeah. most vendors have a Yeah, so that, I'm just joking about that, right? Yes, there, there will be there. This is a product, right, that you will pay for. Um, will it be bundled with, um, will it be part of a service provider a licensing platform? Will it be based on, um, you know, uh, vSphere Enterprise editions. I'm sure it'll be something that, you know, you'll have to, you know, companies will have to evaluate seeing if is it worthwhile for them to use. Well, I guess my question is, is is ARIA like one license or are there, do you license subcomponents of ARIA? Have no idea. Cool. Um, Well, we'll know more about that. I think Will hit earlier when he said, you know, this will probably warrant a deeper dive in a podcast in the future. Yeah, and I definitely, you know, in most, kind of in most circumstances, I would be more up to date on some of the stuff coming out. But a lot of times we're, we're pulled in many directions and uh, being able to focus on each product can take time. Yeah. Plus, not to mention um, VMworld, the week after VMworld, I spent, what, three or four days in a hospital because I got completely sick. Uh, so I was actually not spending time looking at VMware stuff. I was sure. recuperating sure. from from that. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, um, next, let's talk about two more things and then we'll wrap things up. Um, VMware Tanzu, which cool. is Tanzu is a, um, it's VMware's implementation of a Kubernetes cluster. Okay. So when we talk about Kubernetes, we're talking about containerization. We're talking about DevOps and, um, this really, we could spend, I don't know, a week's, you know, podcast and podcast talking about use cases of Kubernetes and, and containerization. And I think we will. We're definitely going to get into those. In fact, I have some VMware resources lined up to, to talk to us, talk to our listeners about containerization and, and who is using Kubernetes and things like this. Um, but basically, in a nutshell, containerization, Kubernetes, and things like this are the ability to run applications outside of the operating system. So back in yeah, the... It's just another, it's another form of virtualization. It's another form of virtualization. So back in the day, you would run, you know, with VMware, the uh, hypervisor, right? You said, hey, I can run a, a, a virtual machine independent of what hardware I have. I can run it. It can be on a Dell or Cisco a Blade. It could be on an HP. It could be on a, a Mac. It could be on a, you know, whatever. I don't care about the underlying hardware... I can run my VM regardless, right? And in many cases, you could traverse different manufacturers in some cases. Um, containerization and Kubernetes actually allow you to run the application irregardless of your, for the most part, irregardless of what operating system you're on. Caveats with, with that, like, right, if you're running a, 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 an Apache web server, you might want to run it on Linux across the board, Right. But the idea is, kind of the kernel of the idea is, I want to be able to run my application anywhere, whether I'm running in public cloud, private cloud, irregardless of what hardware I'm on, and really irregardless of what operating system I'm on. In sure, individual, yeah. indivi I should have said individual operating system, right? Well, <clears throat> you hear it referred to in many cases as serverless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. you don't have to run a Windows operating system, a Linux operating system, so on and so forth. So yeah. th that is definitely kind of where the, the virtualization platform is, is seemingly migrating to. Uh, yeah. And I know, Will, you and I have talked about this multiple times. That we're, we're lining up some VMware to talk about their Tanzu platform with us as well in, in, in a future product podcast hopefully within the next two months yeah so what is you know what is tanzu basically and, and kind of coming back to what i said initially tanzu is vmware's implementation of kubernetes and containerization right and what this means is kind of the hard part of doing containers if you're doing containers on-prem and not leveraging things like kubernetes and, and aws or azure is you have to build a kubernetes cluster right you still need to have hardware software configuration to put together a Kubernetes cluster and then offer containers to your customers, right? And sometimes that upkeep of the, the platform can be a challenge. You have to have people who are fluent in network connectivity, server technology, hardware, really, because you have to have something to run this on. Kubernetes, or, or rather Tanzu, abstracts that and gives the ability to administrators to quickly enable a Tanzu or a Kubernetes Docker container or containerization inside of vSphere. Okay. So you install vSphere, then you install Tanzu. And then after that is set up and configured, now I can go deploy containers. I have a total application platform 
that I can share APIs between containers. It's very extensive and very powerful, right? Um, this is also being implemented inside of VMware vCloud Director. So there's also Tanzu for VCD, right? So for service providers who want to offer containers, um, this can be enabled on a vCloud Director platform. And then people who need to have containers can then, a tenant can be built for that customer. And then that can, customer can roll out containers. Sure. And, and applications. So that's very interesting. And again, this is something that, you know, really is new to a lot of people. And a lot of people, a lot of our customers, you know, when we ask customers, are you adopting containerization? A lot of them will say, we're, we've, we've played with it, we've looked at it, but we're not running production workloads in it, right? Um, and it may just be something here in our region or, or maybe our customer base that we don't have a, a large, you know, ask for that. But I think it's something that's coming, especially things where you're, run, you're rolling out web applications or an application that is grown in cloud, right? You know, where an application may be grown on a server, like, you know, SQL server, web server, you know, application server, right? There's your standard three server stack, right? Three service yeah. stack. Uh, if you're building an application that kind of runs in cloud, uh, then Tanzu may be a good, or containerization and Kubernetes may be a good platform. Sure, also, and we like, you, like we will we will spend a whole bunch of time un unraveling this. Yeah, and there's a lot to it. I mean, really, it, it really is. I, I say it's great for application or DevOps people who are rolling out. Um, updates often. This gives the ability to say, hey, you know, I'm going to roll out my updates and keep my versioning straight. And if something doesn't work right, within a few clicks, I can go back to the previous version of my application and things just work. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot to unpack there specifically. Um, so yeah, good stuff. Um, the last thing I'll talk about really is, is in terms of education, right? And, and, and education is so important in today's world, especially with how quickly our industry is moving, right? So VMware has something called the Knowledge Skills Assessment, which I think is uh, really a great offering from VMware, right? And this is where in your employee base, right, your work base, um, when you have your administrators, whether they're storage administrators, vSphere administrators, network admins, um, it basically is a way for your internal IT staff to take a general technical assessment, and then VMware will take those assessments and build custom curriculum for each of those employees specifically tailored for, um, for, their, for their education needs. So I think that's extremely good. I think it's extremely worthwhile. I think it's something that um, many organizations will take advantage of. And um, how do uh, how do people access that? So they'll go online. There's a website on VMware site uh, under the. I think it, I'll have the link in the show notes. But right. you go and sign up. So one person signs up the organization, and then an engagement is created with VMware, and then those surveys and assessments get sent out to the employees. Right. I think it's great. Right, I think cool. I think it's something venue sh sh should definitely start implementing um, yeah. as we do our continuing education on these products that seem to change very very often. Um, so I think that's wrapping it up for today. Uh, I know I didn't think we would hit an hour, but I think we became very close to hitting an hour. 
Um, uh, I mean, you had a lot. You saw a lot, and there's a lot. Like you said, it's been a while since you've been. Uh, and you know how conferences can be. You 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 run one, two, three, four years in a row sometimes, and you don't see really a lot of new stuff. So having been separated from it for a while, plus a lot of the changes that are going on in our industry with the public cloud and with the multi-cloud environments push this to a, a much bigger conversation. So, man, we're really glad you got a chance to go, Will. Yeah. It also sounds like we have our next few uh, podcasts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have, we have a, a good bit of content that we can score a lot of this. So, yeah, we'll definitely be on the lookout for new uh, So, scratch new the list we came up with last month. <laughs> yeah, the next two years we'll be talking about VMware products. You know, yeah. no problem. Um, but, yeah, so be on the lookout for the next coming, upcoming podcast. We'll get this one out as soon as possible. We'll have the show notes in uh, there'll be a lot of show notes. In fact, I'll try and put some some additional stuff on our website. A um, little bit of housekeeping, please. You can find us on all of the normal podcast aggregators, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to go to venue.com slash podcasts with an S, there's a link there to engage with the, the, the host. So if you want to talk about us, have us talk about a specific product, or you want to even maybe be on the podcast as a guest, we'd love to have you. Uh, we also have an email podcast at venue.com and you can email us there and it'll go between myself, Eric and, and Michael. Awesome. And that is and it guys. Now, right? Another, go ahead. YouTube now. Oh yeah. 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 So this will be video. So we're definitely, yeah. you know, going to do this. I forgot. I totally forgot about the YouTube stuff. Um, you know, we have an audio version of the podcast and then we have a video version of the podcast that will be hosted on YouTube. So awesome. you'll get to see all of our smiling faces. So, all right, thanks everybody. For, thanks for um, giving, keeping us up to date, William. Absolutely. Thanks everyone. And we'll see you on the next podcast. Bye y'all. Bye. Bye y'all.